Welcome to Fur What It's Worth. Wait, wait, we're doing this thing? An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. I just want you to know that you're all perverts. I don't know what I'm doing here. A couple of you have been asking if I breathe fire. The answer is no, I do not. I'm an innocent fox here. No, I've been asked to explain the name. So sit back, relax, and listen to the story behind my name. It started when I was a very young lad, around four or five years old. And uh, we went, me and a few friends, to a restaurant. Uh, the restaurant name was Chi Chi's. It was a Mexican restaurant chain that unfortunately has ceased operations. And it was for a birthday. One of our friends was celebrating his birthday and that's where he wanted it, so that's where it happened. Now, the adults, in their great wisdom, ordered appetizers, which in and of itself, not that bad. However, they ordered fried jalapeno peppers. And in my youthful exuberance, I took a handful of those and as I shoved them in my mouth hungrily, I asked, what are those? And I started chewing like an idiot. Um, needless to say, I quickly felt the effects of that particular pepper. And uh, I don't remember if I managed to swallow. However, I did manage to start drinking water like there was no tomorrow. And because of that, some of my friends started calling me Gueule de Fur, in French, obviously, which roughly translate to Mouth of Fire. Now, in due time, this nickname has evolved as my mastery of the English increased, and uh, eventually I started using the name Firebreath for my online nickname because I wanted to pay homage to that moment in my young life. So, um, yeah, there you have it. Quite boring. Really nothing special. But you asked, I delivered. Now back to you! So, speaking of fire breath... <laughs> fire breath. Here are two fools who need to brush their teeth. Rue and Tugs. Wait, who Hello, was? everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't decide who was opening. We're so like, oh my god, it's no, a we did We're so terrible. Okay, should we do this again? No. No, ah. we're committed. We are okay. committed. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> I am Ruchi C. Lexico. Yes, C does stand for cookie. So, and I just wanted to say hello. And, and this is my lovely co-host. This is Tugs. Yay, Tugs. Say hi from Seattle. Hi from Seattle. Am I am I like Madonna? Do I only get one name? Yes. Yep. <laughs> They're just Tugs. A Tugs puppy bear. There you go. There we go. Yeah, so this part is season seven, episode sixteen. Something clever title that I haven't written yet. And I say into the void. Into into the void. We're not remember, we're recording for the other episode though. Oh. Um <laughs> Never mind. Edit that part out. 
<laughs> no, it's all right. So tell us, what the hell have you been up to? Well, let's see. I have been listening to a whole bunch of different podcasts. Really? Yay. No, um, a podcast that I've been listening to recently is called The Black Tapes, which is an older kind of old po- podcast. I mean, the they're coming Black out with tapes. another. Yeah, The Black Tapes. So it's a, it's a huh. fictional paranormal investigation oh, podcast type I, thing. I thought this was like a kink thing, and I was like, what the fuck? No, I mean, yeah, I, I'm into certain things, but I don't see how black tape is relevant to BDSM tugs. Can you explain that to me? I thought it was like a tying you up thing. Black is also a very sexy color to people. Oh, I, I can see that. Um, but yeah, that that's a, a pretty good podcast. Um, I've also been watching Queer Eye because they're amazing. And... <laughs> Hold on. Did did they bring it back? Yes. Oh. Yes, they're they're at the second season right now. Oh, uh, I thought I thought it was like you were watching the old one and it's like you're kind of late. No, no, it's a <laughs> brand new one and they just came out with their second season. So, let me tell you, if you're needing some fashion tips and stuff like that, um I mean, they don't just they they lost the queer eye. I mean, they lost the straight for the straight guy portion you know how it was called queer eye for the straight guy oh so it's just queer eye for the queer guy no it's just queer eye because they're doing it not just for guys but they're also doing it for women they're also doing it for gay guys as well so it's kind of an all-round how progressive i know isn't that awesome (laughs) so i've been enjoying that i've also been playing a video game called um hollow knight on the switch just barely released that and it is a very, very good game, but you'll be screaming at it, and you're going to be a little bit salty, because that's what I do when I play those games, is I just get really upset. But I love it. It's really good. If you like Metroid, um, where you have to like go to a certain area so that you can get farther in certain areas, um, it's played exactly like the classic Metroid. Metroid so, huh. Yeah. What have you been up to, Mr. Tugs? Not playing Metroidvania games. Uh, (laughs) It's been a while. Uh, So, a lot, a lot. So, uh, I think I said last time I I had a J-O-B. I still have a J-O-B. I have M-O-N-E-Y now, so that's that's a good thing. Um, I'm tired. I always say that. I had this perfect list, and you know know how we always ask each other that, and then then our minds go completely blank. Yep. Yeah, that just happened. Happens all the time. Oh my god. Uh, well, Especially I just, right when you get put on the spot. Right. No. Uh, so I picked up uh, a VR headset. I tried the Vive, and I tried the Oculus. And I know people are like, "Okay, which camp is he in?" Which camp? you know, it doesn't fucking matter. It's virtual reality, and I I enjoyed it. I gave both a fair shake. I think they both provide ninety nine percent of the same experience, and it comes down to pure preference. And I chose one. I like it. I have been punching music. I have been playing Beat Saber as well. Um, but most of all, all I do is sit on my fake balcony and my fake high-rise and watch TV on my 100-inch screen while my chat windows kind of just float there and then just kind of turn on a fan and pretend that I'm all cool in my super rich apartment. And <laughs> it's actually really relaxing is the problem. Like, like it sounds dumb, but I'm like, no, I, I kind of meditate a little bit, you know? So, so I've been doing that. But I have played, I have played like... Uh, Fruit Ninja, uh, Fruit Ninja, yeah. Um, and then today I picked up Ultimate Nerd Pretend. Uh, 
which is Star Trek Bridge Crew. And we'll see how that goes. Awesome. Yeah, uh, that, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, Are you gonna pick up Skyrim VR so you can have a dragon fly in? Uh, and you can't really you can't really walk anywhere. You have to like teleport like really slowly away from the dragon. No. And then you like like awkwardly stab the dragon. <laughs> No, I don't think I, I'm, I've never really been huge into the Elder Scrolls games. It's just not my style of game. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I'm gonna play Talos Principle though. I've heard it's good, and I have it in VR because of the Steam sale draining my wallet. And um, we'll see. Uh, but I picked this up today because today was the first payday since I got the job. So instead of playing video games like I want to, I'm doing this. But um, other than VR, uh. The Octo expansion in Splatoon is hard in a good That's way. That's what I was going to ask you. How is that expansion going? It's so good. I did I beat it in less than 24 hours. Like I had pretty much gotten 75% of the way done before I went to bed because I just wanted the Octoling. Um, and then I beat it the next day, and now I'm working 100% of the levels, but now I'm working on uh, the extra stuff that comes after that. Like it's I don't want to be too spoilery, but it's it's fun. Uh, and well worth your money if you like Splatoon. I've also been playing Mario Penis Aces, um, and uh, it's just like the old Mario Penis games. Yeah? Yeah. Did you ever play Mario Penis? I did play Mario Tennis. Ah. I did. Um, but I I don't know. The last one was kind of shitty, I heard. So. Yeah, the last one was pretty bad, but this one is good. Um, and that, oddly enough, I have sort of been quasi-casually playing more Minecraft. I don't know why I'm playing Minecraft, but I like sometimes I just want to listen to nice music I don't, and make something. I don't know why either. I'm sorry, Tux. <laughs> well, I got well, so they have the new one that does the cross-platform play out now, and mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I want to, you know, why the hell not? And it's actually really weird because it's like you've unlocked an Xbox Live achievement, but I'm on my Switch. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah, weird. I don't, I don't understand. It's super weird. Huh? Yeah. Well, I wonder how PlayStation's taken all of this. Oh, they're butts. they're like, I know they're butts, but it's like Nintendo. Like a year before that, they were like crossplay. We should do crossplay, and now it's like crossplay, and they're like, no, no, we're not doing crossplay. <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck crossplay. Who wants it's that? Like, what are you guys doing? I don't get you. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's annoying. I, well, I think it's because they they have made because they're selling lots and lots and lots of PlayStation 4s. Like it's selling like up the wazoo. And um so therefore they feel like that they're in a different field where they don't have to play with the other consoles? No. Maybe? No. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the proof. <laughs> um. I don't know. Anywho. I've been exercising tugs. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you have you have lost weight. Tell me more about the the weight loss. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing something, I mean, not playing. Wow. I've been going out to this group called Furfit in which we basically just ex we we basically get the ass kicked out of us. We have this this fur that has had some training and um they're training us on, you know, how to exercise and stuff like that and let me tell you, I have lost 20 pounds so far. Wow, I, just 20? Yeah, just 20 pounds. You look amazing all. for just 20. Oh, thank you, Tugs. Appreciate it. But I've lost 20 pounds, and um, but now I'm at the point where I'm not losing any weight because I'm gaining a whole bunch of muscle. And the, for the first time ever, 
I'm like feeling like these little lumps in my arms. And I loved your joke that you said in the chat the other day. What? <laughs> you said, Rue, those aren't, l- you need to go to the doctor and get your breasts checked out or something like that. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> uh, anyways, those aren't muscles. Those are boobs, Rue. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's been nice. And um, I think that with me taking the, so technically this is an update, tumor update. I think with the testosterone and the, the growth hormones, it's starting to get my body to where it's supposed to be. Ah. And so, yeah. So maybe in a year from now, you won't even recognize me, Tugs. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Okay. Well, do you have your cookie? I do. I do. Tell me about your cookie. So the cookie today is sponsored by. We have a sponsor. No. I was just trying to buy time. <laughs> oh, you don't have a cookie. I do have a cookie. It is today. Your problem just got bigger. Think of what you have done in bed with a cookie. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I was I had a fortune cookie the other day. There it is. And I saved it. I, have a, I brought a fortune, too. Oh, okay. What is it? You will be reunited with old friends to benefit you both in bed with a cookie. <laughs> I saved that. I was sitting here going, oh, shit, because I was looking at my mic. I got to save this for recording. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's what I do nowadays. It's like I go to restaurants and like all my friends are like, hey, do you need my do you need my um, fortune cookie? You know, and I just put them all in my wallet so that I have fortune cookies to read. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to potty break and then we will be back. Welcome to our amazing next episode. I want you to learn more adjectives. Welcome? No. Um, The amazing. There's more than amazing. Come up with a new word right now. But but amazing is my word. Um, magnificent. Ooh, 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 ooh. I have one. I have... I give up. Fabulous. I give up. Yeah, apparently apparently it's black and white. It's either sucks or it's amazing. There's not like, it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) keep going so we're gonna dive right into our lovely topic we're gonna be talking about autism in the fandom so we have a lovely lovely guest please guest say hello hello (laughs) who are you lovely guest (laughs) my name is buck um i've been around here a little bit uh i do music like i i have done some of the theme songs um, but I'm also autistic, so that's why I'm a relevant guest. <laughs> Are you tired of remixing Cloudfields? No, let's just keep doing it over and over ad infinitum. You know how it is. If a show has a theme, you have to just use it, you know. I know. I'm I'm okay with it. But more more importantly than us, you did the music for the Bedfellows. I did do the music for the Bedfellows and uh, the Bedfellows video game. And uh, I'm just finished doing another video game soundtrack that for a little iPhone game that's coming out soon. 
Can you tell us the name? Is it called Groove Coaster? <laughs> it's called Evidence. Uh, it's a mastermind detective game. Huh. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think actually your last official appearance on the show was the Bedfellows. Um, it was one of the Bedfellows episodes, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. So it's been a while. So tell us, so, tell us in your words, what is autism? What is autism, and what is autism to you? Hmm. Well, that is kind of a, a large question. Mm-hmm. What is autism? So, uh, broadly, autism spectrum disorders are. How should we say this? Uh, they mark a difficulty in. Uh, socializing in various ways to various degrees um, and you know because autism can go all the way from like literally mentally retarded to you know uh, socially awkward person that really really likes Star Fox uh, like really really likes Star Fox you know um, so it's kind of a hard, like, what is autism is huge sort of thing. In the fandom, I think autism is mostly relegated to the higher functioning type of thing. Uh, mostly. I, I can't speak for everyone, obviously. Um, but what it's marked by is a, a sort of uh, difficulty uh, picking up on social cues, um, you know, knowing exactly, wh- you know, reading a room can be a little harder. Understanding jokes and sarcasm can be a little harder. Um, but also, you see uh, a lot of passion and creativity, I think. Um, I know a lot of my musician friends happen to be autistic, and uh, there's a sort of eccentricity that comes with being autistic that is that comes out in your art uh and i think it's probably the thing that would set my stuff apart from anyone else's is uh that i have this other sense of of how things work so for me this other sense of how things work you know I, i i i view the world a little bit slightly differently um i come at uh you know music a, a little bit differently um, it's. I don't think that I would be half as good of a musician or a writer of music. I guess is more accurate if I weren't autistic. That's my view. Hmm. So. So, um, Tugs, you have some facts about autism. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting looking at at the statistics for it. So, um, I think. It's a spectrum now. So it, it used to mm-hmm. be, according to this research, um, the American Psychiatric Association merged four, four different diagnoses into a spectrum, an umbrella type scenario mm-hmm. where you can land anywhere on the spectrum. And I'm not f- super familiar with the background on it, um, but it looks like they merged um, autistic disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, pervasive developmental disorder um, which is kind of like an other not otherwise specified and then Asperger syndrome which most people I think are familiar with Asperger syndrome because I I mean I don't mean any disrespect but this is what I hear in my head I hear ass hamburgers I'm like that sounds gross and I know that's not what it is right but people I'm not the only one who has thought this so 
it, it, do you fall into one of those four categories that they merged? Uh, before they merged them, I was uh, diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Okay, so what what is that? Asperger's syndrome is a form of high functioning autism. Uh, again, marked by uh, social development disorders mm-hmm. or uh, slow de- slower development social uh, development. Um, it's marked by usually uh, high. How do you say high functioning? Uh, basically, people tend to be smart. Mm-hmm. They tend to be uh, really interested in like certain things and only those certain things to a very high degree. Um, a lot of the diagnosis will talk about memorizing things by rote, just for the, just for knowing them and kind of knowing them without any sort of. Um, like why? Why would you even memorize this fact? <laughs> so what's what's the difference then, though, between say someone who just is obsessed, like you, with a fad, for for instance, or happens to be a bit of an idiot savant where they just absorb information, versus versus someone with Asperger's? It's like, do you get well, what I'm saying? All, usually, savant and autism are closely related terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I would say is that for Asperger's syndrome, it's very very much of a, a passion sort of thing and it's not something that changes with trends it's something that that is pervasive and a lot of a lot of times for, throughout life um so it's not like oh i'm obsessed with uh my little pony because that's a, a thing now and then maybe later i won't be it's like um you know i'm obsessed with animals entirely and i will always be obsessed with animals and that's not really something that's going to change um, so, so I have um, <clears throat> not to interrupt, um, but I actually have a have an individual that I work with, and um, his main main thing he just he memorizes movie quotes. It's just like like I, I walk in and I I teach him something that he needs to be doing, and he's like, "Yes, Rue, may the force be with you," or something like that. Like he speaks in movie quotes. It is, it is, um, it's pretty amazing. And and the fact that he retains all of that information, but you know, sometimes it it just depends on, on what it is. If it's just basically like, make sure that you clean here, here, and here, he will probably forget that, but yet he can remember and recite a whole movie to you, um, without, you know, but, and it goes along the lines with um, what you were saying is, you know, sometimes what happens with these individuals is um, they retain this, like, different pieces of information. It's like, why why are you retaining that? Um, I mean, there's some individuals that can memorize any sort of number that I, I work with, like a long strand of numbers, and they just have this most amazing brain, but that they can't tie their shoe. Like mm-hmm. for some reason that concept just doesn't, they don't know how to tie their shoe and they need some additional help. So I guess the question to you is um, what help have you received along the way to get to the point that you currently are at? Okay. Well, um, first of all, I couldn't tie my shoe forever. It took me to like second grade to actually figure it out. And even then I was doing it wrong. <laughs> so I can relate to that sort of thing. It it takes me a long time. I, you know, I couldn't blow my nose. I didn't know how to blow my nose until like I was a teenager. What? 
Yeah. I, I feel like that's almost an automatic thing. Like I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. It's like a super sneeze, isn't it basically? Well, no, I just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know how to, how to explain No, 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 that's fine. So like, so no, like literally like this, I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite or dumb. This is like for someone who doesn't have this, it's like, sometimes I think the most basic questions are the ones I think that are, are the key ones because like I can read about autism all day and it's like, yeah, it's this and this. And a lot of it seems to be very internal, like not being able to tie your own shoes. But then you say, okay, I couldn't blow my nose. So like, you saw people with tissue blowing their nose, right? And my 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 initial reaction would be like, wouldn't you just mimic that? But I guess you couldn't mimic that, or it didn't make sense to mimic that, or it hadn't occurred to you. Like, like walk me through that a little bit. You know, I can blow my nose now, so it's been a long time since I couldn't do it. Um, but I remember not being able to do it, and so I wouldn't. I don't know. I just wouldn't blow my nose. So, like, you, or I, you... I would try to, and it would just not. It would be wrong. I don't so, know how else to so you were aware of it. No, 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 I get it. I get it. So like you were aware, like, okay, people blow their noses, but like, like it didn't click in a cognizant way where you're like, okay, tissue to face, do the, I don't even know what describe that part is. And, and then you wind up with something you throw away. Well, I mean, I mean, one thing I guess you take for granted is that you block one of your nostrils when you do it. I don't. <laughs> I do. Okay. Yeah, you gotta block one of your nostrils to do it. So what? What? Just going. So doesn't work. When you saw people blowing their noses, do you remember? Was it? We were like, "What are they doing?" Like, did it make sense to you? What they were? Oh, doing? No, I knew what they were doing. Uh -huh. um, I just couldn't figure out how to do it. So, <laughs> so no, you know what this sounds like to me is so a lot of people can do the Vulcan salute, right? Where you put your two fingers together, you have a V, and with the other two fingers, I cannot do that. <laughs> like it's a thing that it's a it's a thing. I know what people are doing, but I can't get my hand to do it. It takes some practice. Um, I mean, so think about that. So, and then you can kind of take this sort of idea of this thing that people can do just automatically without thinking about it and kind of apply it to other things. So uh, a lot of times that comes with socializing, you know, this, the, the patterns, like for me, I've actually like memorized social patterns. So there, there are things that happen that don't actually necessarily make sense, but we all agree just how it works like for instance if i say uh uh hey are you gonna what, what, what was the other day that i noticed that this happened um it, like they're, they're take your time man i'm trying to think of what what, what was the situation Something like this, and this is not exactly one-to-one, -one, but it's like, hey, are you using that? No, here, and just gives it to you. So there's like this agreed, like, if you're asking about it, that means that you want it. So the little things like that um, that are kind of taken for granted. So small social cues like, um, guess what? You're not supposed to guess. You're supposed to say what? And then they're going to tell you what. So little things like that that don't literally make sense that we have these kind of um, uh, just understood. It's like, this is how this works. And then uh, on another, on like a deeper level, you know, um, certain types of body language um, don't always make sense. Uh, like the 69? We, I think the 69 speaks for itself. <laughs> Tugs. <laughs> but like, um, you know, someone folding their arms 
uh, and that's a that's a thing that there's different culturally. So a cue like someone folding their arms has different meanings. Um, in the U.S., for instance, it's, it usually means that they're listening, and in Japan, for instance, it means you're not listening because you're bored. Um, so that kind of a social cue that, that starts to be understood by people around you, you don't always pick up on. Uh, for me, I I am fortunate enough that people are like, I would have never known you were autistic if you didn't tell me. Um, and I think that is because, uh, I first of all, we recognized it early enough. Uh, I was 14 when I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Um, and... Also because my parents uh, were like, it wasn't like an excuse to not socialize, you know, or to learn things. Um, and so, you know, I still, I just, instead of giving up or like using that as a reason to not do something, it's like, okay, so if I have this hurdle, then I need to jump it in a different way than everyone else so uh, while other people for instance learn to socialize just by doing it and by imitating people I would look for patterns and so see how these little patterns work together and kind of work through it that way what was it like when you got diagnosed do you remember when they told you that you had autism I was super relieved uh, because my school life up until that point sucked especially because it was like Eighth grade that I diagnosed. Seventh grade was was just the worst. It was the worst year ever. I hated seventh grade. I hated all my teachers. Huh. Yeah, it was bad. So what? To give ah wow words words are not coming out. So <laughs> give us a little bit of um, feeling of you growing up in in high school. What are some of the things that happened to you? I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, probably had a hard time understanding. Uh, mm -hmm. So what are some of the situations that happened to you? Hmm. Well, uh, for one thing, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was little. Uh, so I was put on various ADHD medicines, Ritalin first, uh, then this Concerta, and then Adderall. Um, so they, those types of things help focus for people who have not not just ADHD, but it does help focus with autism, but it also heightened my emotional instability. Mm -hmm. So, like, while I was taking them, I was more prone to, like, just melting down. Uh, so, the thing that got me in trouble for one time, one time I remember uh, we were, in sixth grade, we could go to a pool and we had a pool that we would go to as part of class and learn to swim and stuff like that. So I was mm -hmm. super excited. And at one point, this person bumped into me and said, excuse you. And I said, you're excused. <laughs> I got in trouble uh, and was not allowed to swim. Oh. So that I just completely melted down the entire time we were in that pool place, just screaming and hollering the entire time. Because I was like, this is not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, why am I being punished for this? You know, couldn't get over it. And, you know, from there, then I was like, okay, well, maybe you should, maybe you should go see a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but stuff like that would happen. Where just things would not be fair or not make sense or like, like why would I get in trouble for that when the other person didn't? You know that sort of thing. Oh, that's... so what? What were the some of the stepping stones that you ended up going through to to get to to the point that you're you're currently at? I mean, I'm sure that's taken a lot of time, a lot of study. Um, did you have anybody that that helped you along the way? Oh yeah. To get to the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, the big, the hugest stepping stone from the beginning was being diagnosed. Uh, and being like, okay, so this is what's going on. Not this other stuff. All of this stuff is now making sense. Uh, we can work with this and do something about it. Um, switching from, you know, like Adderall to something that was more, uh, took care of the symptoms of what I was dealing with with autism. So things like, like I take a, I've used the same medicine forever. Because it, it just started working. It was good. Paxil, Risperdal, and Wilbutrin. So those cover social anxiety, uh, irritability, like, you know, just kind of being irritated by shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just little things. Uh, and then um, depression, which just is kind of a thing that, that can happen uh, with autism. So, for instance, that irritability thing, I should probably go there. Um, that is a thing a lot with autism uh, is that there's just little things that are just just you just can't deal with I there was this significantly more autistic kid at my uh, high school named Joey and his trigger was whistling and I had never seen this kid before I remember I was walking into the bathroom whistling because I constantly whistled uh, and this kid just turned around and just hit me in the face just decked me right in the nose. It was like, no whistling. Like, Holy shit. This kid just punched me in the face for whistling. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, little things like that uh, just are like nails on a chalkboard for some, some people. So uh, having something that deals with irritability uh, helps lessen that. And I can feel it when I'm not on my medicine because every little thing bothers me. Just little tiny things, just like people interacting with me the wrong way. Anyway. Well, um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I currently, I'm currently working with an individual that um, his trigger is not being, like I can't tell him what to do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a job coach. So mm-hmm. I work with people with disabilities and I help them to find, find employment but in the process, I have to, you know, tell them, hey, you can't, you know, bring your fidget spinner out and, and use your fidget spinner during an interview. Like, that's something that's a big no. But to him, he doesn't, he doesn't understand that. But mm-hmm. it's his, like, being told what to do is his trigger. And he gets extremely irritable. And so I have to, I have to think outside the box and change things to be able to you know, reach him and change the way that I'm wording it to him to make it make him think about why, um, you know, having a fidget spinner would actually be a bad thing during an interview. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I have to logically tell it to him. Um, and that seems to seems to help a lot, a lot more than just saying no fidget spinner. It's bad. <laughs> like that just right. doesn't work. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I also don't like being told what to do, incidentally. So, <laughs> Get on um, your knees. N- no. <laughs> it's interesting. In, in adult situations like that, if you were to order me around, I'd be like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> so so you no like like this is a thing that like I don't think people ever I've never thought about it till this very moment. As an adult with autism, does that change your bedroom life? Like are you always the top then? No, no. Uh I don't have I mean I'm I don't really subscribe to dominance and submission. So that aspect of a lot of you know, homosexual activity doesn't really appeal to me. So I like being equals in bed, whether you're top or bottom. Here, here. That's what I like. <laughs> oh, uh, I was going to go back to Stepping Stones real quick because oh, yes. I definitely got way off topic. That's okay. Um, I think my parents were a big help. Um, I think at some point uh, I stopped really worrying about certain things um, and then just kind of a, a weird sort of natural charisma took over and goodness knows how that happened. Um, so like, you know, 10th grade or rather 11th grade and 12th grade, it was, were great years of high school for me. Cause you know, I was still weird and eccentric and stuff, but now people are like, Hey, that guy's okay. <laughs> so that was a big boosting point. Um, you know, how being able to break out of that and actually socialize with people i think uh, having friends and things like that really make a difference in someone's life being exposed to social situations and not having to uh you know it, it can be really hard for autistic people who want to become social to be social when they haven't been and having always been in social situations, uh, it also probably helped my parents were actors. So I was always doing acting and stuff like that. I had a lot of outlets for creativity. I had a lot of uh, ways to express myself. I was never stifled in that way. Um, and then, you know, after a while you live, you learn, you grow. Uh, you de- develop a wild sense of empathy. And then you think back and think, man, I was a total shit when I was a kid. <laughs> we all were, weren't we? Uh, yeah, we I all believe were it. Shit. We all were. <laughs> so, so it, the the two statistics I was going to share is just for um, anyway. Um, one in thirty-seven boys will be dog will be diagnosed with autism, and one in one hundred fifty-one girls, which is an interesting thing that we could get into. But now none of us are scientists. The other thing is that fifty thousand teens estimated. Uh, with autism will become adults and lose school-based autism services every year. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about these services. I it what What is that? What do they do? I mean, is it like teach you how to properly blow your nose class? Is it individualized? Is there like a standard <laughs> set of things? It really depends on where you are. This is not a standardized sort of thing. Um, mental health resources in different places are, some places have really good ones, some places have really crappy ones. Mm-hmm. Um so it's really varied. This is not something that you're going to have a, a common experience throughout the, the U.S., for instance. Um, what it means is that... Uh, how do we put this? You go into a real-world situation without anyone to really guide you through it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So 
uh, one thing that Tugs was saying earlier, for instance, is uh, he he kind of explains logically why something would be. Uh, I would suggest, because it works for me, I would suggest that autistic people do well with explicit instruction. Explicit, like, you know, this is why you need to be this way, or, you know, this is why this works this way. Uh, or, the theory you know, of uh, it. not just the theory of it, but like, you know, what you said actually made me feel bad, and this is why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things like that. So, a lot of the adult world is imp- implied, and a lot of it has to do with just social roles that are assumed. So, ass- assumptions of authority, um, you know, things like that. And not having the resources to navigate that as an adult can be a little harder. Um, and of course, again, your resources for autism are going to be varied. So, and also the spect since it's a spectrum disorder, your uh, issues therein are going to be varied. So, for someone like me, I can do really well. I, I do really well in society. I, I I do just fine. At the same time, you know, I don't really have a respect for authority, but I can fake it. Do you know <laughs> what? Did they take you? Like, did they take you into like uh, special classes or anything? For me, no. For Joey, uh, yes. Oh, okay. You don't happen to have any insight then. That's ah. I was curious. I have. I have a little bit of in, insight as far as um, with with the individuals that I work with. A lot of um, people they have something called DSPD, which um, I don't remember the acronym that it stands for, but um, uh, you are assigned a support coordinator, in which the support coordinator is um, is there to assist you with your basic needs and functions. So it could be related to housing, figuring out your housing, or figuring out who is your therapist. Or which day program that you're going to be a part of, you know, different things like that. And these are usually for the people that are, uh, you know, lower on the spectrum um, that need that additional help. Um, but I have seen it with some of the higher functioning individuals as well that they have a support coordinator because they just need that additional help to be able to to be able to live their day to day life. There's there's that, and then there is something called vocational rehab. Vocational rehab is for individuals that are searching for, for work, and the, those are mostly the clients that I'm working with when I, when I um, help them out. Um, so if, yeah. So, but vocational rehab also helps with like behavior type stuff. So um, they'll send you to courses that will specifically teach you, you know, some of the basic basics of, you know, body language and you know, what is appropriate in certain situations. Like, for in- instance, it may not be um, appropriate for you to start yelling and screaming if a balloon has popped. Like, you know, being able to go through and um, really um, dive deeper and teach you how um, to have appropriate behaviors in certain situations. But. So so both of you are talking about this this you have to basically lay it out go you can't do x because of y or please don't do x in your i guess in your case because you don't want to be told what to do or doing x leads to y and in here here's why so here's here's the thing though is okay that makes sense and that's great and i think that all of us are capable of delivering those kinds of 
lines and messages. The the thing that also strikes me equally though is that I would feel like I'm talking down to somebody doing that. Like, but you can't do this because this, 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 this. I feel like I'm lecturing you about something super basic and that feels very condescending. Think of it this way. So I would think, it is my opinion, that uh, regular people could really benefit from explicit uh, you know, communication as well. Sure. Uh, for autistic people, it's, it's a lot more necessary because these, impl- these implied things are a lot uh, more difficult to pick up on. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, just being honest with someone, like, it's something as simple as, like, you know, hey, um, when you do that, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, and I don't want you to feel, you know, bad about it, but I don't want you to recognize that doing that, it does that. You know, uh, I think those sorts of conversations are important. Um, and I think that we should be more adept to it as a whole general society because everyone does these things that make people uncomfortable. No one says anything. The behavior continues. You know, things get worse until, you know, someone's blocked on social media or something like that. And they don't know why now. So um, when, for for everybody else, when do you think that it's, because I, I believe that, you know, if I was to tell you um, step by step, like, um, everything. Um, I think that there are some points that you would get irritated with me yes. because you would mm-hmm. you would think that I was talking mm-hmm. like what Tugs was saying, um, talking down to you yeah. and um, treating you like you were you were dumb. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I guess I, I guess the situation is when because I have somebody that uh, and you're you're helping me out because I have a client that I'm currently working with that my major struggle is trying to. Um, teach him and mm-hmm. to tell him and most of the things that he says to me is I know and um, and it's hard to tell when he's as- actually grasping a situation and when he's not All right, so, so I guess I just that. have to ask more questions but go ahead sorry okay so this sort of thing uh, is not usually something you would do with a stranger I would suggest um, in my opinion I don't. Uh, it's going to be harder to do with a with a stranger, but in a relationship with someone else in which you trust each other, uh, I think you should trust each other to be that sort of explicitly honest. So, uh, my husband is always very upfront with how he's feeling. Just there's no ambiguity. I don't have to figure it out. It's like okay, this is how he feels about this. This is what's going on, uh, and that's really good for me. Um, so, for instance, if in your situation, uh, the person, uh, I would suggest, and, you know, obviously I don't know the whole situation, and this is just a relationship where it's like, hey, uh, I am here for this reason. I want to help you do better. When I'm telling you these things, it's not to make you feel bad. It's because I want you to be able to function uh, in, your, in your case, in your, in your job, without having any trouble. So when I'm telling you these things, it's like I'm not calling you an idiot. I'm not saying you know, uh, you know, you're not capable of functioning. I'm trying to let you know that when you do this, this is how other people are going to react, and to avoid those sorts of reactions, uh, this is the more 
the way you should probably go about it based on, you know, me being an expert of human interaction and you um, not being quite as adept at it. Hmm. All right. Should we, you know what? I think on that particular point, we should probably go on a break. You and I we'll are so married while we do this show. I love it because I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> well, what, that's what happens when you work for, with each other for yeah. what? How long now? A long time. Five years? No, more 20, than 20, 20, 20 million. All right, so let's do it. Let's go to break and then we'll be back. Hailing frequencies open. Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, June 13th, here are your space headlines. Scientists are finding more and more evidence that Mars was once very possibly habitable by forms of life that we're familiar with, like ourselves. Curiosity, after getting its drill back in operation after two years of troubleshooting, testing, and tinkering here on the ground, has found organic molecules in rocks in what is believed to be an ancient lake bed. While these compounds can be found occurring naturally from processes that don't necessarily require life to be present, they are very commonly found in association with the presence of life. During all of this, scientists have confirmed that the outgassing of methane, one of the compounds in question, goes through stages of greater and lesser concentrations tied to the seasons. They read higher methane concentrations in the Martian summer and less in the winter. So while it's not proof positive that there was or is life present, since methane can be made by non-life processes, it's further evidence that life may have existed at one point, or could possibly even exist presently, on the Red Planet. NASA's Mars InSight mission will be able to further study this when it lands later this year, and so will the Mars 2020 rover. Northrop Grumman has completed its acquisition of Orbital ATK, the company was responsible for developing the solid rocket boosters used on the space shuttle, back when the manufacturer was called Thiokol, who was purchased by ATK, who then went on to merge with Orbital Sciences. Aerospace companies like to play around with each other like that. They were also responsible for a number of other solid fuel rockets, as well as the liquid fuel Antares rocket and the Cygnus spacecraft it carried. Now, Northrop Grumman is going to be in charge of all of that, though only because Orbital ATK will be under them. They're also undergoing a name change. Instead of Orbital ATK, Space Division of Northrop Grumman, thank you tomorrow for the hilariously long abbreviation that produced, they will be called NGIS, or Northrop Grumman Innovation Systems. As of right now, there is no plan to change any of the upcoming rocket lines being developed by Orbital ATK, now NGIS. This gives Northrop Grumman a full supply chain. Instead of simply manufacturing a satellite and handing it off to another company to put on top of a rocket, they have their own in-house rocketry division, meaning they can reduce their internal costs to go from payload design all the way through launch to management on orbit. NASA has announced that Juno's mission at Jupiter has been extended by three years. Almost two years ago, on July 5th, 2016, Juno entered an elliptical orbit around the gas giant and began its science mission. Later, after ground controllers were ready to fire its engine to lower its apogee, the highest point in its orbit, they found the engine wasn't functioning as expected, so they canceled the burn and left it in its elongated orbit. The primary science mission was not in danger. It's just gonna take longer now. Originally, Juno's orbit was going to slowly decay and the probe would eventually achieve end of mission the way Cassini had, by plunging into the Jovian atmosphere, as opposed to the Saturnian atmosphere. However, because they could not lower the orbit as planned, the science mission requires so much additional time that its life has been extended. The probe is in good health beyond its engine, and NASA sees no issues letting it stay in system long enough to finish. Once all objectives have been completed, controllers will direct the probe into Jupiter to protect the rest of the system of moons in orbit. 
just in case there's life developing on any of them. Just to give you an idea of scale, the original planned orbit for the science mission would have taken 14 days to complete one full pass, because that could not be achieved reliably, they are leaving it in its orbit that takes 53 days to complete one full pass. There were 32 planned science flybys, and it will complete the 13th this July. I'll let you do the math. Back on Mars, the little rover that could, Opportunity, is out of communication. Right now, there is a massive dust storm covering the area it's exploring, and it's a record-breaking dust storm. Before ground stations lost communication with Opportunity, they measured the absolute least amount of sunlight any lander or rover has been able to measure and transmit back. There's a strong likelihood that this could spell the end of Opportunity. The dust storm could last so long that it runs out of power, and enough dust could land on the panels to prevent it from recharging once the storm clears. However, wind could clear those panels. While the dust storm affords Opportunity some protection from the intense cold that could render the batteries unable to hold a charge, it may not be able to take a charge until there's enough wind to clear the panels. By then, the batteries may be too cold. You can bet they'll be trying everything they can to get back in touch with Opportunity once the storm clears. They had put it in a protective safe mode, using as little power as possible until the storm clears, but it may not wake back up. To give you some idea of what kind of power loss we're looking at, when they last contacted it, Opportunity was only able to generate 2 milliwatts of power. That's not enough to run a pocket calculator. If it doesn't wake back up, then it will be the end of a 14-year mission that was only supposed to last 90 days. I'm still hopeful they'll be able to wake it back up, but I won't be surprised if this is the last we hear of it. Good luck, Opportunity. That's all for this round. Stay tuned for the next episode of For What It's Worth for more. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. You're listening to For What It's Worth. We've mentioned it before, and soon it becomes reality. That's right. For what it's worth is giving away a Nintendo Switch console, along with eShop keys for Splatoon 2 and the Octo expansion. You do not need to live in the US and Canada to be eligible. Wait. Wait a second, how can you live in both the US and Canada? That's a question for Tugs, as he's the one who's written this announcement. Anyway, on with the show. Contest just needs to be legal where you live. Are you a proud owner of a Switch, Splatoon 2, and the Octo expansion? Don't worry, we'll convert your prize winnings into eShop credits for your region! How cool is that? Details on how to win will be provided soon, but we'll give you this teaser. If you've written in during this season, you're already entered. For What It's Worth Top and Bottom Giveaway. Details coming soon to ForWhatIt'sWorth.com. Not affiliated with or endorsed by Nintendo. Prize is not coming from Patreon funds. This does not mean we will be getting naked either. Alright, and now we are back. We are back. We are back. I don't know what I was going to say, but Tugs, you have the Patreon, so please read it today. There you go. <laughs> Okay, 
Okay, well, we want to say thank you to everyone who is supporting us on Patreon. We just paid our hosting bill. We'll be around for time to come. Isn't that exciting, Rue? Yay, for six months! Woohoo! Woo! All right, so in no particular order, well, actually, there is an order. The order is we start at the bottom and work our way to the top. Not that the bottom people are less, they just happen to be on the bottom. We'll start with Simone, guest of our China episode and show listener. Snares, the creator of Meteor Showers. If you want to see hot, hunky guys doing naughty things, Meteor Showers. Do you read Meteor Showers, Buck? No, I've never heard of it, actually. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, nice. We have Skylos. No one knows who that is. We have Hot Sauce. <laughs> we, have, we have Guardian Lion. We have Dusky. Loki Mutt. Rifka. Ichi. Kit. And I can't believe he's at the top of this list for some reason. It must be the alphabet. Cody. Cody, the grumpiest owl that ever owled. He's an Those owl. Those stickers are amazing. Yes. If, if you haven't had an opportunity to see some of our stickers, we have a great big huge sticker set now. And so if you want to see those, uh, you have to jump into our Telegram chat. So, um, you know, please feel free to shoot me a message at, at WineRedFox and I will add you to um, one of the chats. Or you can send us an email at castitforwhatitsworth.com and we will make sure to add you to our Telegram chat so that you can see these amazing stickers of Cody. Yep. <laughs> if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash FWIW, input your credit card information, and then it will it will charge you money, which we will convert into show sound waves. Also, if you'd like to, you can email us your mother's maiden name and your social security number, and we'll make sure you're taken care of. You know, for the longest time, we, we didn't do um, Patreon. And, like, we're starting to think, like, why haven't we done this sooner? Because me and Tugs have been like paying paying the bill for a very long time and and believe it or not to have a show like this it takes a lot of money it does it does i i didn't i didn't expect it to actually cost this much but <laughs> it's actually a pretty pretty penny so you know any s sort of support um definitely helps the show so please um, consider um, supporting us on Patreon. Yep. And just, just to further your point, every episode costs us about $100 to make not counting time or the time of our guests. So that's just like overhead to make it hosting, um, our Adobe suite, all that stuff. Well, and we're not Twitch um, follow, um, We're not Twitch streamers. And if you're a Twitch streamer, I, I love you. And I'm not trying to, ba you know, yes, I am bashing on you. Um, if you're going, <laughs> we are not. Um, trying to make a living off of this. It's just purely to cover the cost of the show itself. And, and it. you know, any extra things that we have, we update our show equipment or, you know, be able to do things for you guys. So yep. every penny that comes to us goes directly to the show. Tugs doesn't get a payout for, you know, editing the show. You know, Voss doesn't get a payout for, you know, being the audio tech. We're all still just doing, you know, this out of, you know, the goodness of our heart. So any support from you guys definitely helps us. And if you can't, you know, pay any, any money towards the patron, you know, just sharing the show itself helps us mm. a lot because or, we yeah. don't have any marketing. We don't use any of this money towards marketing. So, yep. All right, well, let's go back to our topic then. So assuming everyone is still alive and listening, we'll kick okay. off with an email emails from Miski. It says, hi peeps. It's Miski again. 
I like that she's like have this has this relationship with us on email. Hey, it's me again. Um, I'm hesitant to write this email because I'm not diagnosed as autistic, but people close to me who have experience with autism say they see the autistic traits in me, and I have to admit it adds up. I'm starting to think it would be a good idea to get checked because I know having a diagnosis has the benefit of employers not being able to fire you for stuff to a known disability. I was just involved in running a panel on furry relationships at Confuzzled, in which a topic I chose to cover was how communication styles differ and how that can cause conflict in a relationship if you're not aware of those differences. While some people use indirect communication, which involves subtlety and reading between the lines, I am a very direct communicator. When I ask a question, I expect people to give me a direct answer. And when I say something, I intend no hidden meaning behind my words. I hear this is a common trait for autistic people, and a few people on the panel recounted their experiences of this afterwards. Another thing I'm struggling with a lot currently is getting overwhelmed in loud, busy environments. I feel like I coped with this very well when my mental health was in a better state. I grew up in a pub, so I became used to being in social, noisy environments. But in the time I've had difficulties with depression and anxiety, it became difficult to cope with situations I could deal with before. I even had to quit a job because I found the environment too loud and overwhelming. I'm also quite face-blind, which is not ideal in work situations where you need to remember who you've already talked to. I've heard autism in girls is normally missed because they're good at learning how to hide their symptoms. I think it's important to remember that not everyone with autism will be a parent because they may have to, they've worked hard and will appear that way. Have you seen the gate that sometimes happens online with the struggles uh, of an individual may be disregarded because they don't appear outwardly autistic? I look forward to listening to this. Hugs to all, Miski. I guess Miss first e. response. Yeah, uh, you and me both are in the situation where, you know, people don't don't notice because we've adapted uh, and we've adapted well um, so I totally relate to that that kind of idea that you know people might not uh, if, if it's not obvious I remember actually that time with Joey um, another time I was just in the hallway whistling because I whistle that's that's one of my things is I just whistle while I'm doing things and this girl came out and just started just went off on me about how Joey was autistic and I didn't know anything and how dare I come in there and do this and like I wanted to be like you know I'm autistic too and I don't punch people in the face when they whistle so but <laughs> you know <laughs> I got chewed out because I don't it wasn't obvious you know no one had to know um, so uh, on the other stuff so yeah definitely I would suggest seeking a diagnosis um, I am not uh, self-diagnosis is such a very stigmatized thing because when you, like think about web web and D and like you learn something like oh my god that sounds like me um, but it's just kind of general symptoms like stuff that could be anything um, you know the agoraphobia and, and stuff like that is definitely uh, an autistic trait it could be something else. Uh, it could just Explain be... Explain you know, agoraphobia. Uh, fear of, like, loud, big places outdoors in public areas, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be something else. It could be autism. Um, I would go ahead and get diagnosed for sure. And I think that once you are, it's going to make things a lot easier because then you'll have resources to cope uh, with these types of things. That is my opinion. Uh, so I think it's important to get your mental health 
uh, checked regularly, and I know that you said that it's shifted and stuff, but, you know, I, like, for instance, I have, I have all kinds of stupid, like, not all kinds, but I go to the doctor, right? There's things I manage about my body, like, for instance, I have acid reflux disease, and my doctor likes to take a good look at that every now and then to make sure nothing is going awry beyond what's already gone wrong, and having someone who can check you out and go, oh, hey, yeah, look, you've got autism or you've got whatever um, is very important. You should take care of your mind just as much as you take care of your physical body. The physicality doesn't matter in this case. They all make you you. So, yeah, mm -hmm. if, if you're thinking about it, here's the thing. You took the time to email us. You're obviously thinking about it more than just like, oh, man, that kind of hurts when I do that thing. Do it. Do it. You've already you've already put some energy into this. Just finish the task. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, and it's true that you're gonna like once you're, once you're there and you've got a you know a psychiatrist uh, who can help you, you. You've got someone who will stick with you for a while, monitor the situation. Uh, if medication is involved, uh, they'll be able to tweak your medication depending on how it's actually working. Uh, so you're not you're not gonna be like left in the dark. It's so how a, do you how do you feel about this? stigma like nowadays i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong with this but i feel like that a lot of people you know have this stigma because of the media that if you're like seeing a shrink that it's like uh, you know they call it a shrink i know mm -hmm. i know that that's not the term just to you know po point that out but you know if you're seeing somebody and you're relying on medication like a lot of people nowadays look at that as that's a weakness and I don't want to like, I, I don't know, it, maybe it's a sense of pride in people, but they don't want to reach out for that particular help. What, what would you say? I don't know. What would you say to that? Okay. Uh, a couple of things, actually. Uh, first of all, uh, American society in particular is very big about self-help. Uh, not relying on others, doing things yourself, dealing with problems on your own, which is also why we have a high suicide rate. Uh, so that is a cultural thing that we really need to get over. Uh, and that's not just going to be for autism. It's for any sort of thing. Um, at the same time, you know, hmm, I just, I don't really understand why there's a stigma for mental health in a, in a society that it lends itself towards, uh, how should I say this? Our society is, lends itself towards mental health problems. We are, we are in a society that, that, that causes mental health problems. Uh, so it's interesting that there's a stigma against it. Uh, the other thing is that there is a stigma against having any sort of diagnosis. So autistic on online is the new retarded, which was the new stupid, you know, you know, so it's just another way of, of insulting someone or like this, this weird re thing. I never understood. Like I've never, I don't know. I hate it. It drives me crazy. Uh, as someone who actually has autism and doesn't re. <laughs> what do you think about the word special? I think that anything can be hurled as an insult. So, like, Special Olympics? Oh, no, no, no. I... So here's the thing. So all of these terms come about in order to kind of go... Okay, so you have the word dumb, which means you can't talk. Then dumb gets thrown as an insult. 
And mm-hmm. so now we have to find another way of talking about these things. So you had the word retarded, which actually yep. meant something. It's a medical thing. Now we throw that as an insult, so we change it to mentally challenged. Then mentally challenged gets thrown as an insult. Then we say special needs. Now special needs is thrown as an insult. Now we have another word. So we're always kind of react, like reacting to the way that other people perceive these terms. Um, so I don't have a problem with special per se, but you know, anytime you label one of these things, they're going to get tattered, you know. But what about special forces? Oh, you know, that, that's <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> special isn't See, a bad. Special isn't bad on its own. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I, do, I do. I do just like it when people are like, use it as. A, a way of kind of discounting someone or insulting them. You know, yeah. you, you, you speak to this whole um, American culture problem of um, basically we, we, we poo-poo mental health stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's been one of those things. I, I, I feel like, I guess I kind of am tooting my own horn, but it's, it's, it's not because of anything other than, you'll understand on the other side of this comment, which is that like, Having been someone who, for a long time, felt the anxiety disorder that I have creep up and creep up mm-hmm. and creep up um, to the point where it was consuming me to where I was sitting on my bed for hours, and then mm-hmm. going and getting that help, I would have done it sooner if someone would have come to me or communicated to me in a way that I personally felt affected by and said, hey, I've been there too. Mm. I'm you're not the only one because the thing is is we do have a high suicide rate and we have a lot of mental health problems and by but because we're not talking about it everyone feels isolated and alone and so I've mm-hmm. made a point of of being open about it on the show in the hopes that the one person who's listening to my voice right now hearing me say look there's no shame in taking care of yourself there's really not mm. any shame and choosing not to let the reactions of others affect me on that one I'm hoping that that one person will go and say, okay, you know what? Look, if this person I'm listening to randomly on the internet can do it, then I can do it too. I, that's, mm-hmm. why I, that's why I'm open about it. I want them to feel like they can take care of themselves. And is, and we all need to be more encouraging about that. you know. And if you're that one mm-hmm. person, by the way, send me an email because I want to know that I got through to you. It'd be kind of cool. Um, but, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. everybody in this society, almost everybody in this American society has something mentally. And I'm sorry if your penis gets in the way of, of, of you doing it right and getting help. I'm not going to let that stop me, and it shouldn't. you shouldn't stop other people. No, I, in, I think... In, in college, I ended up having a, um, a situation where I was um, approached by a counselor, and he wanted to assign a tutor to me. At that particular time, I was young and stupid, and I said to the counselor, I don't need help. I don't need assistance from a tutor. I can do this by myself. And you know what? I did. I worked really hard. I did it. You know, I, I would, but it could have been a lot easier if I would have just accepted help. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know now that what I said was absolutely stupid. My pride was in my way. You know, mm-hmm. if you need help from somebody, go get help. It will help you so much. And, I mean, all that you're doing, you're actually hurting yourself more. And I think that you're, 
you're actually showing more sign of a weakness by not seeking for help than actually going out and seeking for help because you're doing what you can to be able to help yourself and to better yourself. As, you know, having somebody to help you doesn't mean anything. You know, it doesn't demean who you are. It's it's you taking charge of your own life. I think it's just weird that as a culture, we don't like to rely on each other. Um, and I don't understand that. It's it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Just like, why can't we help each other out? And, you know, it, it even shows in, in our politics. Like, you know, there are entire political philosophies about not helping each other. You know, it's very strange to me that we are we have this kind of mentality where it's like, you know... You're on your own, I'm on my own, and that's the way it should be. By the way, I'm sorry if I'm changing subjects here, but I just want to ask you, so we've talked a lot about the limitations that autism has. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you feel that have helped you because you have autism? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, So, like I said a little earlier, uh, I don't think that my creative spirit would be anything near the way it is if I weren't autistic. So um, I definitely credit that with like my entire creative side. It's all linked to my autism, and I really appreciate that. Like I would not stop being autistic if I could help it, because I think it also helps frame my worldview. Uh, having been able to uh, you know, crack the code, so to speak, of how socializing works and communication works, I can view it as like a from sort of an outside perspective, as opposed to someone who's kind of in it and not aware of what's going on. Uh, so I think that that's an interesting thing. I think that among other things, uh, various parts of what autism brings allows me to have a lot more empathy for other people. Uh, so I have empathy for other people in terms of you know, challenges with, with mental things. Um, I have a lot more empathy for people. Uh, uh, I, I don't really want to delve into everything, but, you know, it, it does provide me with a sense of, okay, I understand how this is going because I've been through this. Um, or even if I haven't been through it, I've been through something similar and I understand what this is. So I feel like I maybe can help someone that way. So let's shift then and talk about autism as it relates to the fandom. Are you, you're the only autistic person in the fandom, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, autism is not very common at all. Actually, um, autism is super common, um, whether it's self-diagnosed or otherwise. Um, and I think there are various reasons for that. I know a lot of my musician friends... Uh, end up being autistic. Uh, Russell Buck is a really good one. And, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of them don't fit this stereotypical mold of what autism is that, you know, B-Chan has created. Um, Like, Russell is very lively and fun and enjoyable to be around, uh, very social, um, but also autistic. He's kind of weird. He's got quirks. And it's fun. I like him a lot. You know, um... I think that there are several different reasons 
why autistic people might be drawn to the fandom. Uh, one pretty obvious reason is that we're pretty socially acceptable of those types of people. Um, this is, you know, historically and maybe even stereotypically a place where people who don't socialize or have a lot of social interaction can find uh, sort of respite uh, and solidarity. I also think that in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, animals are more relatable. Um, and this idea of... Uh, there's there's a particular artistic community called Wrong Planet, the idea that you were born on the wrong planet. I think that sort of feeling of being alien also could have some influence on someone identifying with furry. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's the other thing where, you know, I've been a furry for my entire life. Even though when I didn't know what it was, I was seven years old, I basically had a fursona, you know. So um, I didn't call it that because I didn't have the literature. But uh, when you grow up with all these furry things around, cartoons, different things like that, um, you know, you kind of identify with them. And I think, you know, this obviously is not the story for everyone, but I think... For autistic people, we kind of tend to latch on to those types of things uh, and then express ourselves through those things. So it's kind of like a proxy to getting to human. I, I completely, sense. completely agree with you because, I mean, I, as I'm not Nuke, Dr. Nuka over here and I don't have like statistics here to back me up, but my personal experience with working with people with disabilities, one of my roles is to assess the individual and to to create a report on, you know, how they, like, their history, their quirks, different things like that, to be able to, um, it's called a situational assessment, well, uh, yeah, a an assessment to figure out, like, how we best can help them. And in that assessment itself, it identifies three different themes that we feel that they would be, or how they feel that they would be good at. So, like, are they good with customer service? Uh, would they be good with, uh, gardening or you know we come up with different themes probably nine times out of ten one of those themes are animal related and have something to do with with animals uh, these the, I mean you know usually I, I completely back up your statement that I think that um, you know they they feel that animals are much more relatable and they they can they they can reach animals in um in a certain way that I can't, and I've met some pretty amazing individuals through this particular process. I I take them over to the Humane Society, and I have to do something called a situational assessment, in which I we pretend to work there for like a day, or mm -hmm. for a couple of hours, and determine whether or not the the animals would be a good fit for them. And most of the time, they just they do just an amazing job. They just love animals. Um, I've ran into um, people that are in the um, brony community. Mm -hmm. I've actually ran into a couple of individuals that are in the furry community and they're like, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you do not know who I am. I'm, I'm this person and I'm your, I'm your job coach. I, we have to keep the two separate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am able to, to relate to them and, and understand um, where they're coming from. But you know, to back up what you're saying, Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's a lot of different reasons why one would connect with animals. Uh, 
Uh, one possible one also is that they're really easy to kind of understand. They're also not expect. They don't expect a lot. They're not really implicit communicators. Uh, they love unconditionally if they're pets. Um, you know, it's it's a lot. They're easier not going to judge you. Right. Yeah, they're not going to judge you. It's a lot easier to interact with an animal in some certain respects than it is with a human. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, we have a lot of rules that don't make sense that everyone knows except for you. Uh, animals are a lot simpler to deal with. Plus, they're cute. They're fuzzy or you know, scaly or whatever they are. Um, animals are fun in general. Hello, and welcome to Get Psyched with Dr. Nuka. Would it surprise you if I told you that you're biased to be nicer to people who are part of your group over people who aren't part of your group? Probably not. After all, you yourself probably know that you give special treatment to your family and friends over complete strangers. You're more likely to help them out of a jam or to lend them money, and you probably hold them in higher regard than you do complete strangers. So no, I'm probably not telling you anything new if I say that you're biased to prefer in-group members over out-group members. What might surprise you, however, is just how easy it is to become part of your in-group. We've talked before about intergroup dynamics, and about how people are biased to see their own group as better than others, and how we give preferential treatments to our own group over members of other groups. This tendency underlies all sorts of social psychological phenomena, from racism to interfandom conflict. Today, however, I want to back up a bit and ask a more fundamental question. What does it take to consider someone part of your group? Do you have to like them? Do you have to know something about them? Do you have to have some kind of emotional connection to them? As it turns out, the answer is none of the above. Social psychologist Henry Tashville suspected that people have an instinctive need to categorize the world around them and to organize themselves into groups. We naturally categorize the world into us and them. So strong is this tendency, Tashville argued, that people even divide themselves into groups for completely arbitrary reasons. He proved this in a set of studies where he gave people the chance to do, well, exactly that. In one study, for example, participants looked at screens full of dots and tried to guess how many dots were on that screen. He then divided the participants into those who overestimated the number of dots and those who underestimated them. Tashville made sure to explain to the participants that they had in fact been divided based on this completely arbitrary trait. There was nothing special about whether you overestimated or underestimated the number of dots, but here you were standing around with other people who just so happened to over or underestimate the number of dots like you. Now here's where the real fun begins. Participants were then told they had to make an important choice. You see, the two groups were going to receive points, which could be used uh, to reward them down the line. However, the participant themselves would not get any prizes. Instead, they were the judge. They had to decide how the points would be divided between the two groups. They could choose to evenly divide the points between the overestimators and the underestimators, or they could give the points, more of them at least, to one group over the other. Now, keep in mind, the participants wouldn't get anything either way. If you were an overestimator, you would get nothing if the overestimators happened to win. 
you had no horse in this race. And keep in mind, these are people you knew nothing about except whether they were like you in overestimating or underestimating the number of dots on a screen. So what happened? Well, as it turns out, more than 80% of people chose to give more points to their own group. They weren't completely unfair, of course, they made sure to give a few points to the other group too. But overwhelmingly, people were biased and gave special treatments to the people they shared one completely arbitrary thing in common with. In other words, they showed in-group bias toward people they had only just met and had been arbitrarily plunked down beside. So what does this mean for the furry fandom? Well, it's obvious that furries are biased to think good things about other furries and give them preferential treatments over other groups like, say, sports fans. But this research also suggests that we're probably biased in ways we might not even recognize. For example, whether you know it or not, you might think more positively about someone if they share your fursona species, or even just your fursona color. Or perhaps you're more likely to forgive, or less likely to judge, a furry whose fursona name sounds similar to yours, or even if it just starts with the same letter as yours. In fact, you can find real-world demonstrations of Tashfell's minimal group study at actual furry conventions themselves. For example, in 2017, the furry convention Fur A had a Harry Potter theme. At the start of the con, attendees were assigned to one of the four houses, completely at random. And then throughout the con, furries could be seen helping out furries they otherwise didn't know just because they happened to be from the same house. They sat next to them at events and chatted with them in the halls simply because they had this one thing in common. And in the same vein, furries could also be seen trash-talking members of the other houses, furries who they were otherwise exactly like except for the results of a completely random draw. The take-home message is this. We naturally divide ourselves and our social worlds into us and them, and treat people differently based on whether they're part of our in-group or a member of an out-group. It's no secret that we do this. We're all very much aware that we're biased to give special treatments to our in-groups that we don't extend to complete strangers. But we also have blind spots when it comes to our biases. Thinking that we're fair and impartial, or wishing that this was the case, doesn't guarantee that we're not treating people differently because of some association our brain has made behind the scenes. The reason you choose not to talk to another fur at a con may well come down to something as trivial as the color of their tail or their choice of fursona names. It's something to keep in mind the next time you find yourself quick to dismiss or criticize another member of the fandom. This has been a quick look at the psychology of minimal groups. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched. So you mentioned earlier about you having high forms of anxiety. Um, mm. That's something is that's that's something that's extremely prevalent in um, in people with disabilities is they have this high form of anxiety. How mm -hmm. do you? Um, I know that you mentioned that you're taking medication for it, but mm -hmm. how do you deal with anxiety on a day to day basis? It can be difficult. Anxiety is a really uh, angry beast. Uh, if you don't have anxiety, this is kind of how I explain it. I have two different ways. One, imagine that you have a fight or flight reflex. Uh, there's nothing to run from, nothing to fight, and you can't get away from it. It's kind of like what anxiety is like. Uh, 
another way to describe it is kind of like a storm. It's like being berated with the same thing over and over again. And every time you try to like move past it, it pulls you back in and swirls around you and just kind of this kind of mess of, um, you know, one of my big phrases that comes to mind when I have anxiety is I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Just constantly. There's no, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, there's nowhere to go. Uh, there's nothing to do. Uh, and, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, it's a very weird thing to have happen. And I imagine it's it's, it's some, some, some sort of evolutionary thing that kind of has backfired. Um, dealing with it is very difficult. In certain times, like at work, it's very difficult to deal with. Um, you know, taking time to breathe, meditate, just kind of like center kind of focus on one thing instead of like too many things like okay there's one thing to focus on that's the only thing I'm going to think about but not the destructive thing that you know over here is like okay I've got a task let me think about this one task only um, of course medication helps a lot uh, recently I've had a lot of social media anxiety which by the way is a product is like a feature of social media so if you find yourself having anxiety related to social media that's normal and you should probably do something about it um you know there's anxiety people have anxiety about um you know getting likes and stuff but for me it was like clearing out messages um public perception of like seeing people talk about things and thinking about how that relates to me even though they're not talking about me you know uh, a lot of people have it where they see people um, having a good time and thinking, like, my life is nothing like that, even though this is just like a facade of how this works. So I cut down certain types of social media. So a lot of you, negativity. Yeah. You would never, ever, ever want to look at my phone. You would freak out. I currently have uh, 110, let's see, no, 110,998 unanswered emails Jesus uh, <laughs> that's, that's a notification that's you? on there <laughs> <laughs> I have my own problems it's like a collection it's like Pokemon you just you know I want to get that number as high as possible <laughs> I've actually seen at one point before clearing out my inbox I've actually seen it get to um, 999 um, what, whatever. When I went past that number, it no longer displayed the numbers and just did points on it. So, anywho, that's besides the point. But yes, you would not like to look at my my phone. You, it would drive I, you nuts. I've never gotten that many emails. I don't know if I've gotten that many emails in my entire life. Uh, it's some of it's junk and stuff like that. Sometimes I just see the notification, and mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay, I know what I need to do, and I take care of it. But I mm -hmm. just don't clear it out of clear my inbox. That'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> I don't think if I could deal with that. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be something that I would want to deal with. I get frustrated with how it is right now, but I've got a bunch of filters like Facebook emails you every single time something happens. Yeah. Immediately, I just have it sent to like trash, trash delete immediately upon receipt. 
So I have a lot of that stuff going on. Uh, but, yeah, as far as anxiety goes, it's really a lot of... It, it's... How do I do this? It's it's hard. Uh, some people don't really have the resources to deal with it. For me, um, you know, I know I have anxiety. I can kind of rationalize with myself that this is anxiety. Where is it coming from? It's not coming from anywhere. Okay, well, then I have to kind of deal with this. And sometimes it, it means taking the rest of the day off. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you- it means you... Mm-hmm. Do you have um, have it set up? Because, I mean, usually what happens with employers is that, you know, if you have a documented disability, that you would be able to go to your employer and say, I have to take FMLA. Or, um, you know, you have to take a day off because of your medical condition. Do you have that type of thing set up? or I have not set up an FMLA for autism, uh, but that might not be a bad idea. Because, uh, well... Y- I mean, I, I have I have the ability to just be like, uh, if, as long as I have the days off, I can be like, I'm going to take the last quarter of this day. It's off. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it, it can, as long as I have time to spare as far as, you know, our pay time off earned, uh, I can do that. So it's not too big of an issue. But FMLA might be a great idea because then even when I don't have days off, I can still do it. <laughs> That'd Just don't really don't useful. abuse it. <laughs> well, I wouldn't abuse it. That's that's not the way to go. I know people that do it though. It's so terrible. Anyways, um, I wouldn't but, feel good about abusing it. Yeah, um, that's that's what that's there for. Um, definitely, if I, I know a lot of people are fearful for um, you know approaching their employer and saying, "Hey, I have this," because they're fearful of being treated differently, and nobody wants to be treated differently. But it does give you um, protections in order because uh, it's, I believe it's a federal type thing where you are protected. Your job cannot be, um, or maybe it's just a state thing. No, no, but, it's federal. Um, it's federal. Okay, so federal. You're, you're a protected class. So if somebody fired you because you had to take a day off to take care of your mental health, then they will be in trouble for... Um, for firing you for that and you could sue the pants off of them because oh. you are so you're protected underneath um underneath the law what, but i like i might pants. do that yeah do what i like their pants nothing <laughs> you like the what never mind nothing's important continue <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's actually a great idea i could really probably benefit from that um i but i'm just saying FMLA, whole, like i think everybody. i think the I think the biggest issue with FMLA is like admitting that what you have is a problem that needs attention and special like consideration. You know, in our society in particular, like the idea of taking advantage of special situations is so taboo. Like, oh, you need welfare? Well, you're a lazy piece of shit. Um, you need disability. Well, you probably are just too lazy to work. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you've seen this type of thing. I, I have definitely, but those resources are there for a reason. And when you have it, you have to be like what we were talking about earlier. Is it a pride issue that you know people aren't taking advantage of it? You know, people people are gonna do what they're gonna do. They're gonna judge you 
no matter what that you do. But the main thing is, is focusing on yourself and getting the need and help that you need. That is what is important. Yes, people are going to probably look at you um, strangely or weirdly. But, but the Actually, thing is, is if your employer... Um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, with FMLA, no one should know except for HR. That's what I was going to state. Um, is that your your manager doesn't even need to know. All you have to do is go into your HR department and say, I need an accommodation. That is the key word, accommodation. That is the legal term. That is the term that you need to use is say the word, I need an accommodation, and this is what is going on, and this is the reason why I need this accommodation. And if it is a reasonable accommodation, they should, by law, accommodate you if you have an issue about the lighting in your office that is a reasonable accommodation to have the lights either removed i know that there were some people when i when i when i worked in a different office that they they could not stand the fluorescent lights they had to have a different lighting system that is a reasonable accommodation so therefore they legally had to um, accommodate that for that particular individual for them to be able to work. So, you know, if you don't know if whether or not that your accommodation it, accommodationable is reason uh, re reasonable, then just ask, ask and um, see what what they can they can do. I mean, that, that's part of their job. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say for me, my. My hesitation is going to be, I've worked here for five years and I've never had an accommodation like this. Um, but I guess i got to get over that because it's like I didn't know that this was something that I could talk about. So I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, anywho. So I, I think, think that we... Go ahead, Tux. Oh, no, no. That was Buck. Oh. Oh, no. I just said I think that that was a good topic to cover. I think that was a very important thing to talk about. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know what? I think that we've hit hit a wall. It's, should we go to final thoughts, Tugs? Or is there anything uh, that other questions that you have? No, I've just been listening and learning mostly. I think I think the one thing, and maybe you've said it, and I just didn't parse it that way. But like, as someone with autism, what do you want? What's the one thing you want someone who doesn't have autism to know? Like, if you could, if you could just implant one thought into everyone's head about autism, what would it be? Let me think for a moment. It would be to not let Rue on the show anymore. No, what? Uh, <gasps> that was what? <laughs> um, maybe that autistic people don't re. <laughs> don't re. Re! Oh, you never seen that thing? No, I hate I don't that. Know. I, I have oh. no clue what you're talking about. I see it all the time. Um, like people will talk about how they're, they're like screeching in autism or something like that. Oh I yeah. So that's not a thing that. I mean, there's so many autistic people that aren't that far down the spectrum where they're having these types of issues it, autism is a spectrum and you know limiting to what b chan says that it is is really not smart or funny or helpful hmm. that's what i would want people to know 
there's some clients that come into my office because I, I work at a day program as well. And so we have a, um, some lower end individuals, I mean, lower spectrum individuals, uh, not lower end, I'm sorry, um, individuals that are in the day program. And um, there's sometimes that the clients come in and they're like, do you guys have a bird <laughs> like in the back office? <laughs> well, and it's just some of the clients that, you know, that are like what you were saying is screen or mm -hmm. so. But there are so many other types of autism that don't involve that. Uh, yes. And certainly once we're adults, uh, we have expectations of behavior that I think a Plenty of autistic people are perfectly capable of, of you know, meeting those expectations. Certain things, um, like not having a, a breakdown in the middle of, I don't know, you know, uh, some people have these problems. Some people don't. And I think that defining autism as that is not a productive way of doing it. So the just to to say the the usually the word breakdown or having some sort of an issue, the industry calls that a behavior. That's kind of a weird term, but you know, any time that there's like a screeching or anxiety or maybe somebody throwing a trash can across the room at my head, different things like that, um, <clears throat> that is called a behavior. Um, so, anyways, that's that's a side note. Type thing. A Sorry, behavior. That's such a strange euphemism. I know. I know. Isn't that weird? I thought that was weird when I started. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Tugs is just having a behavior. Shh. <laughs> 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 oh my god. That's uh, no, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I'm really glad you came on and and uh, shared some more with with me. I hope that autistic people were found this helpful or you know representative and not uh, a crock of bullshit <laughs> oh no I think I think what you said is is definitely spot on and it will hit home to a lot of these individuals a lot of these people and um, I mean just my final thoughts is again you know if you need help go for it you know find yeah. find somebody to help you I mean I, I can't believe that I'm quoting a tv show here but i've been watching the show called the good doctor which is the good doctor is about this individual that has autism but he is super smart and can perform surgeries and just he he knows what he's doing but yet he can't even like he has a hard time getting to work on time in the morning or you know he obsesses if there is if somebody took an apple that he was going to eat and he doesn't you know, he has to go to the store. He has to correct something in order for his mind to go back to, you know, what he should actually be thinking about. Um, but to him, it's super important and he can't get it out of his mind. Anyways, um, I highly recommend that if you want to understand or learn a little bit more about autism in an entertaining way, The Good Doctor is a, a pretty good, um, pretty good episode that, not episode, but series that talk about you know, people that have autism and, you know, how sometimes the society treats people with autism and um, how they really should be be treating them. And that's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, as a unique, just as a regular individual. So. Yep. 
Anyways, I appreciate you coming on as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So shall we go to the keeping of houses? Yes, we should. We should. Have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. I have a a thing. So are you you having a procedure done? I uh, he's having a behavior. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I am having a behavior, and I need one minute. Okay. If if you liked this show, like we said earlier, tell a friend. Telling a friend helps us grow. It helps us. Uh, increase our audience size and since we don't spend money on marketing you know it's pretty much the only way we market so tell a friend um if you had if you like the show if you had a a reaction to this episode uh email us and let us know drop a note in chat uh however if you put something in chat it doesn't make it on the air just so you know um and speaking of you can always email us uh, about any episode so you can send an email to cast at for what it's worth.com there's tugs at for what it's worth Ru at for what it's worth voss it's v-a-o-s if you for some reason want to talk to him um and if just so everyone at home knows right now i can see rue's side boob and it's glorious it is glorious actually. it is did you see the side boob uh, i want to i want to cuddle him he's, <laughs> he's cuddly <laughs> i have no idea why he's showing me his side boob uh, yeah, if you like Ruth's side boob, you can also let us know. Uh, <laughs> also, we want to thank our support cast. We want to thank Voss for handling all of the logistics in Salt Lake. We want to thank Firebreath for being awesome uh, and doing all of our lines. And I just realized i got to send him those lines. Um, and then social media, at For What It's Worth. We have our Facebook page. Um, I don't know how to find it because I'm on Facebook. We're at Plus for what it's worth on the Google Plus. And if you want to join our Telegram group, drop us a line and we will let you in. We used to have an open link, but miners ruin everything, right? Uh, to, yes. all, to all you miners who are listening that shouldn't be, don't listen to the show, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get us in trouble with your parents. Yep. All right, Rue, what's our had next? that happen once before. <laughs> what's our next episode? Really? Yeah, we had some uh, a kid that ended up emailing in, and we read his email on the show, and then that um, his father ended up, um, you know, calling us, uh, not calling us, but emailing us and being like, "You cannot use my son's email on the show." It's like that's your responsibility, <laughs> Dad. Install cock blocker on the computer if you don't like that. Um, <laughs> what's our next episode, Rue? On the next, for what it's worth. Before we read the first email, uh, we're being silly because for those of you listening to this after the fact, we're actually live streaming this episode, doing it on a whim. So if you made it in, hooray! If you're in our audience now, there we are on YouTube Live. I, I can't communicate effectively with too many noises that it's going on. Right? Especially if it's music in the background, right? Yeah. No, if there's... <laughs> yes. Thanks, Tugs. I, it shuts off all my capabilities of being able to say anything. Oh, you're a furry. I don't know what that is. So let me look into it. And then we give him Nuka's paper and everyone's fine. That's so gross. All I'm thinking of is somebody shitting in a pie. You're s- that's such a disgusting saying. But uh, people do weird things. That's the thing. 
Our next episode, you know what? We have had so many emails through the mailbag, and you know we've had some really amazing episodes that um, have been going on that have been going a little bit longer than uh, normal, and we just haven't been able to reach into the mailbag and unzip it and fondle what's inside. So we want to do an episode that's just the mailbag. So send us anything everything you want to know something you want us to touch on a particular topic or touch you you want us to do i don't know anything just send us an email to cast at for what it's worth.com or if you want to send personal emails you can send one I to did it. tugs at for what it's worth.com or through at for what it's worth.com yay okay so that's it that's it we're all done that's it so I guess this is Rue. This is Tugs. This is Buck. And this has been for, for what, what, it's for what it's worth. Damn it! Why do you know you... it? Wait, Tugs, you didn't say it. I did. No, I did not see it. I have that. a sound form right on my channel where it was. <laughs> <laughs> I learned. I learned. You learned? I learned. I'm turning this off.